Welcome to the January 2024 episode of RCV Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Kelly, a member of the Resource Center staff, and in today's episode, I'll be talking with EAC Commissioner Tom Hicks about his work. Commissioner Hicks, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Happy New Year. I know you've been traveling quite a bit, um, so we appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Kelly, thank you for having me. I really do appreciate you folks devoting a little bit of time to hear the um, things I have to say about the EAC. I think it's a great agency, and I'm ready to answer any and most questions, I guess, that you might have for me. <laughs> oh, that's that's a good that's good. We like to hear that. Before we get started, we always like to do something fun with our guests um, and and ask a question to kind of get things kicked off. So our question today is: If you had a walk-on song every time you entered the EAC office, what would it be? Appropriately? Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we so, did it as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I laugh because it's just something that, you know, growing up uh, as an athlete, I was a, I played lacrosse in college and basketball in high school. And this is all before things got really crazy with music and lights and all that. But it's something that, you know, uh, I've talked, I thought about and, and talked with my friends about. And actually, when I was in Maryland last year at their conference, they actually had a DJ at their, their lunchtime piece. And I was speaking during lunchtime and there was some, I forget the name of the song, but it was a Cool in the Gang song that I had thought about. It's the, it's, I don't know the name, but it was the, the one that's in Pulp Fiction right when they start off with, he goes, honey, bunny, I love you, basically. Oh, and, yes. And I can't think of the name of that one either. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. But, but I did that song, but uh, there's others that I always think about, like, you know, Fly Like an Eagle by, or there's one by this group prodigy that has a remix called Firestarter. I've done that or even B.O.B. by Outkast. Oh yeah, for sure. I love Outkast. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it all depends on the timing and who's around sort of thing. Right. Well, I <laughs> so, agree. And, and which, what kind of conference you're at. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. It's, it's funny because I probably one of my favorite movies of all time is Pulp Fiction. So it's nice to hear, have, have that brought up today. Um, and, and I guess, you know, we, we date ourselves a little bit with our music because Cool and the Gang was definitely um, one of my favorites back in the day, too. But my walk-on song is Brick House. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> also dates us a little bit, but a, a lot of fun and, and good energy coming into the room. So anyway, a little fun today, but let's go ahead and get to our topic. Tell us a little bit about Tom Hicks. Where did you go to school? Where, you know, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I grew up in uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I would say the state of Massachusetts, but it's a Commonwealth. Middle-class kid, uh, mom and dad, who didn't have the same opportunities that I had in terms of education. Uh, they grew up in the Deep South, and they wanted to give my brother and me a better life, so they moved up north. So I grew up in Massachusetts, went to a bunch of really great schools, Boston Latin Academy, which is basically... Uh, one of the oldest uh, public schools in the country. And then, you know, because I did so well with uh, languages, which <laughs> not at all. Uh, no, not, I, at, I, all, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so um, ended up going to a voluntary busing program called Metcal. 
and where they take uh, minority students and bus them out to the suburbs, supposedly best and brightest uh, in me. And so we went out, I went out to Concord, Carlisle. And so, you know, Concord through Revolutionary War sort of thing. And uh, spent three years in high school out there before heading off to college, where I went to Clark University, which is a school in Worcester, Mass., which was a fantastic school, which I have a lot of love for because of the opportunities that they gave me, including actually studying a year abroad over in London, where I studied at Birkbeck College um, and did a couple of internships, which were kind of unique at the time of I wanted to do something far left and then far right. And so I interned at the um, Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, where we um, actually, I wrote a paper, a couple of papers there, but actually the the best part of that was the hands-on experience, where I actually went uh, up to Scotland in Northern England to stay with some folks who were basically protesting the nuclear subs, the Trident subs that they had up there. So staying in uh, trailers uh, as a college kid and 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 saying seeing some of that stuff and and being with these folks uh, and seeing their lives and the the devotion that they had towards that issue and then the spring semester working at, at a group that was a public affairs company that talked about oil companies and it was Roland Salaberry and Casey and they did reports for oil companies and the Saudis and, and other other folks as well. And that was a little more on the right hand side. And the UK was going through an election that year for prime minister. And so to see those sorts of issues during that time frame was just absolutely amazing. Came back to the US, did some, you know, graduated from college. And then, um, yeah, it was just a whirlwind, basically, before heading off to law school and applied to a bunch of law schools and ended up going uh, close to where I lived at the time, but still live in, in the D.C. area of going to uh, the Catholic University of America. But I still say and I try to tell, you know, my three kids, which is something that my mom instilled in me of your car could break down, your spouse could leave you. Uh, but you will always have your education. So continually get your education as much as possible. And so I've tried to continue on with that to the point where I've gotten my SERA uh, certification uh, this last August. And so I'm going to continually try to further my education as I move through life. Absolutely. You know, I, I grew up in a very similar kind of family where education was valued. Um and also just thinking about the experience that you had in um, when you were in London for the year, our parents, my parents really valued um, having us be overseas and travel and live overseas. Um, it really can change your perspective on and your outlook on things. So interesting experience that you had. I'm glad you were able to do that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I even forgot about, you know, since I've been doing that when you said overseas and law school, I, I studied in Australia for a bit. Ooh. I think there's a lot of jealous people about that. That's, I would love to go to Australia. <laughs> yeah, and that was absolutely amazing because it was, I did some um, courses on immigration law when I was there to find out because they have a lot of similarities with our native folks here and the Aborigine folks there. And so to see those sorts of perspectives, granted, it's 30 years ago now, but in terms of when I was in school, but but it's still it was still a great experience and I think uh, shaped the person that I am today. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. So law school and how did you land at the EAC? That's a that's a, a really interesting part of the federal government. What what led you there? So I I guess I landed at the EAC because of my love of voting. Uh, my mom and dad were both uh, people who gave me different perspectives on voting. My mom basically, you know, voting every election she possibly could and harassing my dad to actually do the same. <laughs> but you know, he was. Not as a avid voter as mom until she found out he wasn't. <laughs> uh, but I think of it as so. So I've been working in on campaigns and uh, in elections for you know over thirty years. In two thousand, when the Florida issues happened, I said I never want to see an election happen like that again. So I found a job working for a common cause as their lobbyist on what would become the Help America Vote Act. So uh, working with good government groups, members of Congress and um, state legislators and you know secretaries of state and local election officials on what would become the Help America Vote Act. And so when that was passed at Common Cause, you know, Common Cause was one of the, the groups that was highly involved in it. I um, ended up working for the committee, the, co- the, com- the committee on House Administration. Uh, which oversaw the implementation of the Help America Vote Act and um, oversaw the FEC, was there for over a decade. And then uh, Ms. Pelosi sent my name over to the president for a nomination for the EAC. And I'm highly you know, thankful for her, her guidance and her um, trust in my, my abilities to send my name over to the president. It took four and a half years for me to get from nominee, because the president, you know, President Obama nominated me in 2010, 2011, and 2013. And I've never been able to confirm it. But from what I understand, I was the longest non-judicial nominee ever at four and a half years, because I guess most people, you know, just say, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore and withdrew, withdraw their name. But I continued on and was finally confirmed in December of 2014, have been at the EAC ever since. That's a great story. And, and thank you for, for sharing that. I, I think it's important to note um, your dedication to voting and to, to making sure that everyone has has access to the ballot, has the ability to have their vote count. And hanging in there through all of that time with President Obama and the way Congress was at the time um, to be four and a half years. I think that's that actually speaks volumes about that your dedication to what you're doing. So thank you for that. A lot of people, this is sort of a niche podcast and we're, we're a little, you know, we're total election nerds over here. But for our listeners, tell us what what does the acronym EAC stand for? It stands for Election Assistance Commission, and as one of our commissioners constantly says, assistance is our middle name. And I think that that's very true in that 95% of this stuff is non-political. We can all agree on those sorts of issues. How we do it is what the issue becomes. But I think that the four of us have a distinct love for elections and want to see things improve. We might not have the same goals but we all want the same thing at the end of the day. Those who are eligible to cast their votes, to be able to cast their votes and have those votes counted accurately in a timely manner. 
Absolutely. So what is the actual role of the commissioners? I know you have a staff also, or maybe you can kind of give us an idea of what, what the commissioners do versus your staff. Well, I think that we have a fantastic staff in Congress in the last few years has given us um, more trust in our ability to do our jobs uh, by providing additional funding. Uh, when I first got to the EAC, we barely had enough funding to keep the lights on. And I think now we are proving more so our value in that um, to help with the administration of elections. We don't do anything in terms of elections itself. We don't run elections, uh, but we provide information, gather that information, and disseminate that to the states. Because one of the things that I, you know, did, wasn't really aware of, you know, sitting in Washington, and which has allowed me to, is, as I've gone around the country and around the world, see that election offices are usually one or two people. And they don't have the resources that they need to actually run elections. And they run the elections, but they don't have an opportunity to gather information on what other people are doing. And so we provide that information to these states because there's you know, a debate on the number of jurisdictions that may be out there, ranging from 8,000 to up to 10,000 jurisdictions. And so we provide that information to those jurisdictions on what other states are doing, what other jurisdictions are doing, and flying around the country and, and presenting to, to groups the resources that we actually have. And I think that that's, it's, it's been a whirlwind and a huge change in the, uh, the time that I've actually been here. Absolutely. And just to go back to your staff, we've actually had the, the pleasure of working with some of your folks and um, you really do have a great staff and we, we love to work with you all um, on some of the things that, that you've been doing. So I know we, we talked a lot last summer when we were at conferences about some work that you're doing on ranked choice voting specifically. Can you share a little bit about what that is and what, what that looks like for um, election folks? Sure. But before I, 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 before I go away from the staff, I do want to say that we have hired a number of former election officials to serve on our staff as well. And I think that they have a dedication that is just un, unrivaled for their devotion to elections, done this remotely, or people are working from home sort of thing. But we've been able to gather that information and further our, our mission as we've moved forward. I just want to go back to your talking about hiring election administrators. I, I think that's one of the key components. Um, I, I started my career as an educator, and I always wanted teachers to be involved in the the big picture planning and the, the information gathering. And I think we're, we're really doing a much greater service to our election administrators across the U.S. if we involve folks that actually have been in the field um, in the work we're doing. So I'm glad that that's been able to to happen. And um, I know we've worked with several of them, Cami and a few others. So appreciate that dedication to hearing the voices of people doing the actual work. That's good to hear. Thank you. We talked a lot over the summer, several times when we saw each other about the fact that you all are doing work on ranked choice voting resources. That really dovetails nicely with the things we do. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of work you're doing and what products have come out of that? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the biggest needs right now is uh, more education that's needed for ranked choice voting, what it is, how it's implemented, how is it different from typical single winner-take-all voting methods. So I think that one of the things that we're doing is under the EAC's clearinghouse function is to serve as a trusted, nonpartisan governmental source for this information. And so we've put together basically one pager 
that basically says things like of what RCV is, because we don't certify, you know, standalone software applications, but we have and can, uh, well, I guess we, we can, uh, not that we have, so we can certify software applications that's part of the voting system configuration through our testing and certification program. So I'm sure that, you know, most of your listeners already know most of this stuff, but it's the EAC certifies manufactured systems that support RCV that are native to those systems, but most don't have that. But if a system does not include uh, RCV support, the manufacturer must still uh, provide documentation in their implementation statement of um, basically stating how RCV is supported uh, moving forward with VBSG 2.0. And VBSG is the Voluntary Voting System Guidelines. And so we've provided that in our one-pager. We've talked about alternative voting methods in the United States. You know, so our report basically provides information on how to use alternative voting methods across the country, um, including methods that are currently being used or considered like RCV. I, I love that on the, you all are on the governmental side. We're on the nonprofit side, nonpartisan, and we have a lot of similar goals. And, and you know, to really make sure that when these, for us specifically, ranked choice voting for EAC, alternate forms of voting, um, are really implemented well and um, accurately and in a trustworthy way. So it's nice to hear that we have that work work on both sides of the fence there. So you already mentioned VVSG 2.0. That has for certain been a big area of discussion for our staff, for election administrators out in the field. Um, A couple of our staff members served on one of the working groups dealing with ranked choice voting. Can you speak to that a little bit? Explain a little bit what the change is from VVSG uh, 1.0 and when all that goes into effect for everyone, that kind of thing. Great. That's a really good question. That's a really, really good question. So let me start back to, so when I first got to the EAC, we debated on 1.1 and we were, that, that had been sitting for commissioner vote uh, for a number of years. We voted on that, moved it forward, but no uh, manufacturer actually tested to that system. In that meantime, we were working towards 2.0. And so in 2021, the EAC updated and voted on the VBSG 2.0 system that basically, I believe, laid the groundwork for the 21st century in voting systems, which significantly improved cybersecurity, accessibility, and usability requirements. And as the name implies, the VBSG is completely voluntary but uh, some states still have to adhere to that because of their state laws. So, as I said, major updates included cybersecurity and interoperability and accessibility and auditability as well. But we also require now that any system submitted for testing has to require some sort of penetration testing uh, before they can enter our testing and certification program. It will take some time for new systems to be developed and certified to uh, VVSG 2.0 for those systems to be fielded. So we won't see any system certified for 2.0 
deployed for the 24 election cycle. And that's basically just the environment that we lived in, in terms of constraint funding for state and local election officials. But I do want to stress that no system will be decertified uh, through the EAC associated with this process. Um, so people will still be able to use the systems that they have and have confidence that those systems that have been certified by the EAC are still trustworthy. I do think that's an important thing that a lot of folks in the public that aren't involved directly with elections and um, election administration don't understand the rigor that these systems go through. And so, yeah, I think that this misconception that things are not as safe as we want them to be or not as secure, we really are working on that. It is it is something that is at the center of everyone's attention in terms of the the process of voting. It's exciting. I know, I know everybody, there's a lot of buzz about it, but... <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I constantly say to folks, if they have some sort of issue with the voting systems or don't feel that they're trustworthy enough, that they should serve as a poll worker. One of the things that the EAC did in 2020, in August of 2020, was set up National Poll Worker Recruitment Day because we have we don't have enough poll workers to serve as trusted people in as the face of elections. So if you have a issue with the voting process, see it from the inside, learn what happens as a poll worker, and then serve your fellow Americans as a poll worker. Don't just sit on the sidelines and complain, because no one really likes that piece. You know, we have a a First Amendment right of free speech. Fine, you want to exercise that, but also of association. So participate and associate with other folks as well. Absolutely. And, you know, we really work hard to encourage folks to to be, um, to volunteer, to help with their elections offices locally too. I know that's, that's always a challenge. It seems like my friends who are are election administrators, that is definitely one of the hardest things is finding people willing to do that. And, and so hopefully we'll continue to encourage folks to, you know, be a part of that. So is there anything else that you want to share about the AC or your work that's going on? You've covered a lot of, a lot of things. You all have a big, big, big mission, big job, anything else that we haven't talked about? Well, I would say that, you know, folks would say, well, Tom, have you ever served as a poll worker? And that answer is yes. So I've served as a poll worker. I've actually run a precinct and been in charge of setting up and breaking down and having those votes counted. So I've seen it from the inside and it gives me a little bit of a knowledge of what these folks go through because it's a very, very long day. Unfortunately, as a commissioner, I'm not able to do that anymore. But I do think that, you know, at some point when I um, leave the commission and and I'm off of my retirement, rocking in a chair somewhere, that I would probably try to serve again as a poll worker. I hope to have that sort of time. You know, one of the things I would say is that folks can get more information on the EAC at EAC.gov. I think that there's a there. There's been a lot of folks who don't know that we exist, and uh, we have a high-level video that I think that folks can look at and and see the things that we do. It's only about five minutes long, and I think that if folks look at that video, they'll see the things that we do and, and have a little more confidence that the election process uh, in our democracy is still strong. You know, our country has been around for over 250 years, and I think that almost 250 years, and I think that it's it's the best is still yet to come. 
And as we continually work together to build our democracy, we can still remain that beacon of light that other folks look at. And I think that, you know, when when foreign countries come to the U.S. to monitor and see our elections, they take those things back and build upon that. And so, you know, I, I, I still look forward to, to, to those days of, of our country still being that beacon. And if folks feel that there's if there's election officials who are listening to this podcast feel that there are things that we should be working on, they could go to clearinghouse at EAC.gov is our email address to put in ideas for us to continually work because elections are still evolving. Elections are not run the same way they were run in 1900. And hopefully in 2100, they won't be run the same way as they're being run now. I want to thank you and your listeners for uh, devoting a few minutes to hear me babble on about the issues, but I'm really passionate about the EAC. And I think that there are, you know, our best days are still ahead of us. Absolutely. And your passion clearly shines through. And, you know, I can't say strongly enough, and, and I say this to folks all the time that my, you know, my friends or colleagues that don't really know exactly what I do, I say, you know, there are good people doing good things for our democracy every single day. And clearly that's work that's happening at the EAC. And we appreciate that so much. And we actually use your resources quite a bit as well. It helps us to, to stay in the loop with you know, best practices and the things that um, we need to know about election administration outside of ranked choice voting. So we appreciate that. And listeners, we'll make sure that we link all of these different things, resources, and the information we've talked about today in the show notes. So Commissioner Hicks, as we finish up here today, um, the way we met is through conferences. And um, we, we seem to run into each other a lot because we're at all the national conferences. Always traveling. Always traveling. <laughs> and I'm surprised I haven't seen you in the airport yet. I'm sure that'll happen too. <laughs> Describe your 2023 experience at conferences in three words or less. Absolutely fantastic growing. I love it. I love it. That's a, that's a great. I, I was thinking very busy season also because summertime tends to, tends to always be conference season, but um, hopefully I will see you. I actually hit the road again for NAS in a few weeks and we'll be, we'll be in DC. So. So I'll see you in DC. Well, great. I'll see you <laughs> there then. Definitely. Thank you again, Commissioner Hicks. We appreciate your time and energy and um, look forward to seeing what comes out of the EAC this year. Well, Kelly, I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing and having me on today. And I, you know, I think of this as I think when I think of election administrators is that all heroes don't wear a uniform. And so we're all devoted to our country and um, but we're all not wearing a uniform, but we're all devoted to ensuring that things uh, function well. So 100%. Thank you so much. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, a useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about rate and choice voting. Here's Policy Director Ryan Kirby with this month's final round. Did you know that the Help America Vote Act, also known as HAVA, created the Election Assistance Commission? HAVA was passed in 2002 to address problems identified in the 2000 elections. The law provided funding to states to meet new minimum standards, upgrade voting equipment, and improve election administration. HAVA helped modernize American elections and makes it this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our January RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates, and take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about RCVRC and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website at rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website, and please don't hesitate to contact us with donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at RCVRC. Our theme music today is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Kelly on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.